If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. It's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Major Tom McKay is on the board. While Will Erskine booking the guests in the legendary CHML newsroom, Jennifer McQueen. Hope you have a great family day weekend. Another holiday that can end up in a wild bun fight. Enjoy responsibly. Here's Scott Thompson. And there's the antagonizer right there. That guy right there. He's the he's stu- he's stirring up all the trouble. He's causing it. Don't let that uh, innocent face fool you. It is Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson, 900 CHML. Another jam-packed show coming up. I hope you hang around for it. Uh, oh, you know what I was going to tell you? So this seems kind of uh, odd, and it's sort of a personal story. Uh, here's something you may not know about me. Um, I've had an aquarium for as long as I can remember, whenever I've been stable enough. <laughs> not, not not in mind, but in body, like just not moving around a lot. And uh, we've been in the house we've been in for uh, almost 25 years now. So um, I have a, rad, a rather large aquarium downstairs, like 55 gallons. So uh, anyway, it's just always been a hobby of mine since I was a kid. And um, and yeah, anyway. So uh, I have African cichlids, which if anybody knows, they're kind of funny to watch because, you know, fish really, what are they? They're, they're worms with fins. <laughs> I mean, really, what do we got here? There's not a lot going on. Uh, but they're very territorial, uh, you know, kind of like Nemo was in the movie, in and out, in and out, in and out. Uh, and, and anyway, so uh, as it sits behind the bar, it, it's, a, it's a topic of conversation. So anyway, long story short, too late for that, Scott. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm down there staring at it, and this must have been a month ago, maybe six weeks ago, and I've seen this before. Uh, and then there's not a lot of rock on the bottom of the aquarium. There's only like about an inch, maybe. And uh, but there's tons of plants, tons of places to hide because African cichlids will literally eat each other till there's nothing left. So there's eight of them in this, maybe seven, seven of them in this um, in this tank, 55 gallon tank. So anyway, uh, I noticed that the rocks are being moved around. And like, you know, again, I've seen it before and it's, they, they do that. It's their fun. So then all of a sudden I noticed, uh, one of the, or the largest fish in the tank is missing. And I'm just presumed, uh, dead because these fish have been at longer, uh, around longer than any fish I've ever had. I think I got these before the pandemic. They're like at least five years old. And out of the original eight I bought, I think seven of them have survived. So um, that's pretty good. I think that's one of the best ones I've had as far as keeping them. So anyway, uh, I'm thinking, well, you know, I've lost this big old guy and uh, and didn't see him for a month and and just figured, you know, once if they if you don't see them when they're when they're dying, they just chomp them up. So anyway, uh, all of a sudden, like a week ago, I noticed that the fish is back. Like, where the hell did this thing come from? And, you know, surprised and to see it and whatever. Uh, and then last night, I'm down there looking at it. And uh, I had fed them or whatever. And I noticed this little wee fish. A fry, as they call them. Uh, like, seriously, like maybe a half an inch. A couple of centimeters long. Like, really small. It's like, where did that come from? And he's like sticking his head in and out of uh, actually a SpongeBob, a SpongeBob house that's in the tank. So anyway, uh, like I'm looking at this and I, I couldn't believe it. So I get it by phone and I actually 
take a shot of it and I shoot it up to the kids. Next thing you know, everybody's down there. And we start doing research on African cichlids, which guess what? We're parents. Uh, and unfortunately, there was probably anywhere from 10 to 30 of these, but only one has survived. Because what usually happens once they uh, uh, hatch, I guess, is uh, it's dinner. And it was my son started looking up and I knew nothing about this, um, that what they do is they lay the eggs, then they incubate them in their mouth. Seriously. So I've been watching these two fish trying to kiss, and I think it's the male trying to get the eggs out of the mouth. You know, a month ago, two months ago, whatever. So, uh, so obviously when, and she, you know, she does this and then lets them go after a month or so and then tries to guard them, but good luck. And, you know, clearly cause there's so much, uh, plant stuff in the, in the tank that at least one of them survived. So, uh, we're all quite glib and, and happy here around, uh, the Thompson household that we're now proud parents and the kids have named him or her Nemo. Uh, because, you know, out of all of them, only one appears to survive, have survived. And that big black fish that we thought we had uh, is obviously a female and not a male. So now we're trying to figure, we think we know who the male and the female fish are, um, but we're not quite, like, we think we know who the couple is, but we're not sure which one gave birth to the fish. We think we know. All right, lots of chatter about the budget. We know where that has been, and it has been voted on, and in, rather. But not every councillor voted in favor for it. Uh, the vote was 10 to 6 in favor of. And we have one uh, councillor here who did not. Matt, Fra- uh, Matt Francis is with us, Ward 5 councillor for the City of Hamilton. And here now, Matt, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well. Uh, yes, I'm uh, still recovering from yesterday's shock, but uh, I'm here with you now. <laughs> You know, I, uh, a lot of people are always critical of, of City Hall and such, but boy, I do not envy any of you uh, having to go through this, especially in a post-pandemic world. Um, but what is your reaction to what went down and, and where we are? Uh, yeah, I'm incredibly disappointed in, in the 5.8 uh, back-to-back um, budgets. I mean, we're also projecting uh, 8% next year and the year after as well. So. Uh, our budget woes uh, continue, and it's very disappointing. That's why I voted against it. I thought uh, uh, there were many ways to uh, shave the budget and get it down further than uh, what we did. Um, instead, we uh, council decided to dip into the reserves and uh, quite a bit of the reserves too, $155 million in record spending. Um, and I don't think we should have done it in that manner. I think uh, the new process that we went with was uh, backwards. I think uh, you should be going and looking for uh, the things you absolutely need first, and then go to your reserves as a mm. last-ditch effort, if, if if need be. So I was a bit disappointed with the whole process as a whole, and uh, yeah, I don't think uh, it was a fiscally responsible budget by any means. Uh, you brought up an interesting point, Matt. Is this about starting with what we need, or starting uh, and then going backwards and cutting what we don't need? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you want to look at the services that you need and don't need. But uh, at the end of the day, we, th- we've we got a spending problem and uh, that we have to get under control. Um, it's, uh, it's it's clear that that's what's driving these budgets. It's, it's spending. It's, it's spending on projects. Um, and, and and to put it in perspective, too, I know there's this narrative that we have. We've got to catch up. It, it's, it's inaccurate. I mean, we're not getting any more kilometers of road done now. We're not getting any additional parks done so it's just spending simply that needs to be 
scaled back. Uh, you said more shaving. Many will say where? Well, so Tom Jackson, Councillor Tom Jackson from Ward 6, uh, at our previous budget meeting about two weeks ago, he brought a motion forward. I thought it was quite interesting. We've got a new city manager and we're doing a new budget process. His motion essentially was to go send the city manager. Can you bring us back what a 4% global overall budget looks like? What does that look like? Can you show us what that looks like? Council said no. I was very disappointed by that decision. We should have at least been given the opportunity to see what that looks like overall. Go to, you know, go to the various departments and say, hey, find me 10 million here. Find me 5 million there. And then here you go, council, make a decision on this. So I would have liked to have that option. Um, unfortunately, we were denied that opportunity. How, do you, how is this playing in your ward, Matt? Yeah, so that's, that's one of the things that really hurts. I, I was at the bocce club, actually, uh, my local bocce club on Tuesday, and uh, a lot of seniors and, and elderly residents. And there, there was about 100 people there, and people just lined up one by one by one to speak to me. And I've never seen anything like it. Every single person said the same thing. They're struggling right now. Affordability is top of mind for everybody, especially seniors, especially low-income individuals, uh, fixed-income individuals, and, and people with disabilities. Um, they're struggling the hardest. And when we raise taxes by 5.8% year after year um, and into the foreseeable future, that hurts these people a lot and they they made it very clear to me um that it's unacceptable so for me i mean i couldn't i can't support these crazy tax hikes it's too much um uh, obviously uh, it, it is now passed and that is the increase are you confident that with that increase that more is being done or is this just servicing debt? Is this just the same thing around and around and around? You think you're getting value for at least that money that is being spent or, or those increases? It's a great point. That's actually the first question people ask me. They come up after they express to me that the taxes are too high. The first thing that they ask me is what more are we getting for this taxing? Yeah. And I have a very hard time telling them what, because they're not seeing an improvement in their roads. They're not seeing an improvement in their, uh, their infrastructure or their parks. Um, so, you know, they're not getting that value for a dollar and they, they're seeing that. And that's what they're telling me. So, um, no, I, I, and I completely agree with them. You're not seeing the increase in services for this record spending. And, it, you know, mind you, yes, we're, we're at a 5.8 again, which, you know, just because it started at 14 doesn't mean, okay, 5.8 is now acceptable. It's not acceptable. And on top of it, we're, we're depleting our reserves to get to just the 5.8. So yes, there are a, there is a, a portion of provincial downloading, but we depleted our reserves just to get to the 5.8%, which is way too high. Uh, can you, could you see results? Like you're saying people are, are paying 5.8, not seeing results. Say it's 2%, 2.4%. Uh, can you see results there? I mean, you know, you're talking about shaving stuff, and yet if we're putting more money into it, we're really not solving the problem. We're servicing what we have. Yeah, well, I listen, I, I want to see what a 2% budget looks like, and I, I certainly hope for the next couple of years that council, uh, you know, tightens the spending a little bit. And, and oh, mind you, so, I have to say this as well, the projections for the next two years, the 8%, 7% projections for next year, that's with zero council enhancements over the next 10 months. So yeah. all, all of our deliberations over the spring, summer, and fall, and all the council-referred items and projects that councillors want to see, um, 
that's we're starting at eight, so that's before we have any enhancements. So we it's 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 quite likely we're back to uh, next fall looking at another double digit uh, start to the budget process. So we're going to have some very very tough decisions to make in the future, and um, yeah, we, we've got to cut back on the spending in this city. How often do we go into reserves? Uh, that so this is another interesting thing too. So in the past, it's actually been very rare that council would dip into reserves. If they did, it wasn't in this significant of a fashion. Either. So this is a new territory. I know uh, previously it's been sort of understood that going to reserves is a bad thing. Um, that has, you know, that's somehow changed now. I don't know why that's mm-hmm. uh, that's a little bit different now. That we've well, those are capital projects, aren't they? Those are to build things. Well, correct, but it, it, we're also there is still operating dollars in that. But the thing with operating dollars is that money. So if you could, if you use reserves eventually you're going to have to pay that money back on the levy. So yeah. uh, operating costs go straight to the levy. So this is where the sort of the situation that we've caught ourselves in is, you, yes, using um, reserves for, for capital is one thing, but when you're using it for uh, operating, then that's eventually going to make its way back onto the levy. Matt Francis with us, your Ward 5 councillor, City of Hamilton voted against the budget. Matt, thanks for the time. Good luck. Thank you very much. Have a great day. If you're a motorhead, you'll know that the Daytona 500 is this weekend. And if you're into cars just generally, you'll know that the Canadian International Auto Show is going on. And if you're really a motorhead, you know the Canadian Motorsport Hall of Fame Induction Gala is this weekend as well. And guess what? We got the host of that, also the host of Rec Culture TV, uh, NASCAR Canada a pit reporter for uh, the NASCAR Pinty Series, and it featured in Scouting the Refs and Racing It Out podcast. Todd Lewis is here. Todd, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. I am. Good to talk to you, Scott. So what are you doing this weekend? Tell us about your uh, about uh, what you're emceeing. The Canadian Motorsport Hall of Fame induction ceremony Saturday night. It's in the John Bassett Theater at the Metro Toronto Convention Center. If you buy a ticket to the auto, to the induction ceremony, you get into the auto show for free, which is great. A uh, couple of the nominees, uh, Dario Franchitti was the international nominee this year. He was presented mm. with his medallion on Wednesday night. James Hinchcliffe is being inducted this year. I did a nice interview with him yesterday. He's, uh, he's looking forward to it. Uh, Brad Moran, who is the big boss at the uh, NASCAR Cup Series, who uh, used to own Barry Speedway and worked for many years with with NASCAR Canada, he is being inducted, and uh, it's it's great that he's he's going to be able to celebrate with us uh, on Saturday night. We're we're linking him up via video because he's got kind of a big race to plan for on Sunday, and I know they're hoping <laughs> that the weather holds out. Uh, so talk about the health of motorsports in Canada right now, uh, because it seems sometimes, you know, people say, yeah, it's big, it's not so big, but I mean, man, it just, it keeps just, uh, smoking right along. It's doing, it's doing well, isn't it? Well, I'll, I'll tell you last year with, uh, the big events, whether it's the, uh, Formula One Grand Prix in, uh, Montreal, the Honda Indy in Toronto, the IMSA WeatherTech Weekend, the, uh, Chevy, Chevrolet Grand Prix for IMSA at, 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 uh, CTMP last year, they all had huge attendance. They were all incredibly well attended. In fact, uh, I was told that the Indy in Toronto was, was up to one of its highest attendance levels ever last year like top 10 of all the years that it's been running since the mid 80s so uh it's good all of the series all the local tracks did really well car counts were up it was great and wonderful to see already this year daniel morad has won uh a rolex watch at the uh, rolex 24 in the uh, gtd Mm. category in imsa so yeah there's there's a lot of good things happening in motorsports in canada 
All right. So uh, this evening, or, or sorry, this weekend, rather, centered around the auto show. We remember going through the pandemic and stuff. A lot of that ground to a halt. It now seems like this show is bigger and better than ever. 44 manufacturers at the auto show this year. That's a lot of manufacturers. It's up significantly yeah. from the 28 last year. Attendance was huge last year. Over 300,000 people went through. So, yeah, it's 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 a lot to see and enjoy and and do at the auto show, of course. And of All course, right. The Hall of Fame. Go ahead. And let's talk about uh, the Daytona 500 this weekend. Like, honestly, uh, uh, some of the other motorsports, and this is great to see, are sort of uh, getting the attention away from NASCAR, and NASCAR's got a bit of work to do. But talk about this weekend and, and where the state of this sport is. Well, it, it, it's good. There's uh, there's questions about it, of course, going forward. They had that uh, un- unfortunate set of weather circumstances a couple of weeks ago at the uh, LA Coliseum with the clash that ended up yeah. getting moved up 24 hours. But they, they got the race, and actually the race was pretty good. It's unfortunate that uh, you know you didn't have, have a great crowd because of the, the schmozzle in terms of having to reschedule it 24 hours early. I don't know that it goes back there next year. But the 500 this year, it's always eagerly anticipated. It's always exciting because it's plate-style racing where all the cars are bunched up for about 198 laps and then it's a free-for-all and all hell breaks loose usually in the last two laps as everybody does anything and everything to try to win. Joey Logano starts on the pole. Michael McDowell's on the outside of row one. But you know what? It almost doesn't really matter where you start because again, mm. the, the technical specifications keep the cars bunched up and you ride around. You've got to be in the right place to win at the end of this race and a, a move you make uh, a lap before could take you from first to 15th or all the way to the back of the pack. So it it's really dramatic right to the end. And it is the biggest stock car race. You start with the biggest race of the year to begin the 36 weeks of, uh, of the points fund. What is NASCAR going to do? Do you think to regain uh, some of the audience that it had maybe a decade or so ago? I mean, I remember way back when there was the big push to the mile and a half tracks because they suited corporate sponsorship and whatever. But now it seems to be there's more of a focus on the smaller tracks and more road racing. A little bit more uh, smaller tracks and road racing, as you say. Yes, there was the talk last year that the NASCAR Cup Series was going to come to Montreal this year. They talked about it. It got close. It didn't happen. That's not to say it might not happen in 2025, but that's a discussion for a little further away. Yes, they're they're going back to Chicago to race in the streets of Chicago again this year, which again looked like it might be a bit iffy because of the weather, but it turned into a sensational event with some dramatic racing. So. Yes, we may see more of that. The, the, the mile and a half tracks are, were part of an issue because just because of the rules package, but those have been changed and adjusted and they're getting to better, more exciting races on mile and a half tracks, a focus on short tracks as well. But NASCAR is finding themselves to be a little more flexible now. They, they, they aren't afraid mm. to try new things and do new things. They did the dirt race for a while at Bristol, yeah. Tennessee. That's gone away this year because it had kind of run its course, like I think the Coliseum has. So I think we're going to see more unique and different things, moving the all-star race around, moving the, the clash around to different events. I think this is all on the table. And hey, they've got a Netflix series too now that has been incredibly well-received. All right, you talked about Canadian Tire Motorsports Park, a.k.a. Mossport. The truck series was there for a while, uh, and then during the pandemic, that was kiboshed. Mm-hmm. Any, any more talk of that, have you heard? 
Uh, there, there has been suggestions of uh, let's get the trucks back to CTMP. They are open for business and willing to look at all, all kinds of opportunities, whether it's with NASCAR or other series at CTMP. Um, but it, it's a complicated thing getting the trucks across the border, partly in terms of the expense for the teams. It is very expensive for truck teams, which is the third tier of the NASCAR right, touring yeah. series, and they try to go on limited budgets. The, the trucks will race tonight on the same Daytona track and cheer for uh, Sun Peaks BC's Jason White, who's got to find a little bit of speed to to help him out. But he's racing in the in the truck series race tonight, so it, it's a huge expense for the for the lower level teams to try and make it work. We've talked about this many times over the years, Todd. Uh, the old days when you used to get F1 drivers competing in the Indy 500 and and people from various disciplines coming in and such. Are we starting to see that more? more are the organizations now working uh, better together so we may see an f1 race with something else on the same weekend or an indie race on yeah, the same we, weekend we had, well, fernando alonso skipped monaco a couple of years ago to run the indy 500 because it was a, a thing that he wanted to do how about kyle Lar- uh, kyle larson who's going to run both the indy 500 and the coke 600 on the same day this year he's already tested his uh his mclaren car at phoenix and it's said, yeah sure no problem building up speed building up the speed good no problem had a had a little moment or two and learn how to recover after uh, the car gets out from under you a little bit so that's going to be fun and exciting to watch so racers are are interested in pursuing other other disciplines it's a question of whether the opportunity is there from a team owner and as as it's driven so many things sponsorship and partnerships are vitally important to make that happen but Kyle Larson it, at the Indy 500 is going to be very interesting to watch this year it's like all of a sudden oh you know what the NHL can play in the Olympics again yes this is what it should be about <laughs> It doesn't matter what the sport is. Todd Lewis with his host of Brett Culture TV, NASCAR announcer, and featured in Scouting the Refs and Racing It Out podcast, and Master of Ceremonies to, uh, coming up this weekend for the induction gala uh, for the Canadian Motorsports Hall of Fame. Good luck this weekend. Have fun. Thanks, Scott. Uh, always a pleasure to chat. We'll do it again soon. Obviously, we're heading into a family day weekend, uh, which means that Monday is a holiday, and pretty much everything is... Uh, uh, you know, uh, anything service oriented is uh, closed. Anything uh, touristy is open, <laughs> including like Go Transit, all that stuff, uh, the Warplane Heritage Museum, uh, all of that. But of course, obviously, when you get to uh, services like garbage and, and pickup and such, uh, there is none of that uh, coming up this weekend, obviously, on the Monday. So uh, get out and enjoy and uh, and have some fun. And, and it looks like it looks like for the most part. It should be pretty good weather. Uh, I'm not sure you're going to get too much skiing or uh, any winter weather in. Uh, they say that the the temperatures that we've got right now will last through uh, at least uh, through the weekend. So, you know, if you can get any outdoor skating in or anything of that nature, uh, I, I guess that is uh, still a possibility. The ski hills saying that this weekend uh, things are in good shape. You know, even if you're just going out as far as Glen Eden, uh, you know, at least they're up and running and you can get out and do things. But again, once we get into next week, think, things really start to warm up again. And by the time we get to Wednesday, we could see uh, eight degree temperatures uh, in the hammer. All right, what is going on in the city? Let's bring in Janine Gaunt, Senior Manager, Recreation District Operations with the City of Hamilton and here now. Janine, hope you're doing well. Hey, Scott. Yes, and you? 
Good. Thanks for taking the time. We appreciate this. Uh, all right. As we mentioned, some, uh, some stuff closed, uh, obviously on a uh, family day holiday Monday, but uh, lots of stuff going on in the week uh, over the weekend in the city nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, our rec centers are all open. We do have some uh, programming going on for families to enjoy over the weekend, and particularly on Monday when you may find some things closed with it being a stat holiday, but some of ours are still going strong. So what do we have open on Monday that we can do? Uh, So on Monday, we have uh, Family Day Gyms and Swims at uh, six of our recreation centers. Uh, Those are Bernie, Benetto, Dundas, Stony Creek, Valley Park, and Westmount. So there's a combination of swimming, open gyms, uh, family gyms. So basically, families can come and participate and just stay active on this uh, family day. Do you get more families out generally this weekend? Do Do we really embrace the family day thing? Then you see lots of families doing their thing. Yeah, we do. Um, So our numbers do see an uptick on family day because let's face it, people are off. They're looking for something to do with the kids or, you know what, send the kids on without them so that they can have a little break. Yeah, (laughs) that's a good point there. Now, what about the weather? Because it's sort of been hit and miss. I know Winterfest was, uh, you know, obviously you you regauge the events uh, as per weather and such. But does weather play a part in what you had planned this weekend? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, it may at our outdoor ice rinks, but we do have four rinks that are, um, you know, refrigerated, uh, crews attend to them, that sort of thing. So they tend to stay in pretty good shape. Uh, those are the Serafini, Dundas, Grilton, and Waterdown Loop locations. So those are available free of charge, open till 10 o'clock. And, uh, you know, families can come. Maybe kids haven't put skates on in a while so come on and skate we also have free skates at our indoor buildings so that's not going to be a problem with the weather Uh, all of our arenas um, free family skating from one to three and we just ask that you bring a donation for our local food bank that's a great idea all right website or anything we can go to to find out a complete list you bet hamilton.ca backslash recreation all right anything you we've missed janine that you want to squeeze in here in the last couple of seconds Well, not really. Just spend time with your family. Enjoy the day off. It's not often we get an extra day off in a week. Good point. Janine Gaunt with the Senior Manager of Recreation District Operations with the City of Hamilton. Hit their website and uh, take a peek at what is available, including a free skate. Nothing wrong with that. Janine, thanks for the time. Be well. Thanks. You too, Scott. If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. You know, we were talking a while ago about best before dates and at which time a, uh, or which is the time when a grocer decides that this is the last day of, uh, of shelf life for a certain product and then it moves on from there. Uh, usually sold at a discount, deep discount on that last day, which has been the subject of some controversy in the past. Uh, what happens after that, though? Let's bring in Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, Professor of Food Distribution and Policy, Director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University, and here now. Sylvain, thank you for the time. Hope you're well. Yes, I am. Hello, Scott. So we talked about this before about, uh, you know, end of life for a product on a shelf in, in which we were talking about uh, how those are sold at a deep discount. And I understand that uh, I think it was Loblaw that was going to change it from 20 or sorry, from 50 to 30 percent. But I think they've gone back to 50. Is that accurate? That is accurate. It happened 
uh, I believe on January 14th, uh, that was when uh, Loblaws was to discontinue the practice of slapping a 50% discount on expiring food. Uh, but I think a week later, they decided to uh, to renege on that decision. Okay, so what happens after that point, Sylvain? Anything that isn't sold, what happens? That's a good. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, so first of all, I, I must say, grocers uh, are 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 seen as very strong supporters of food banks and food rescuing agencies. So uh, I I personally am on the board of Second Harvest. In Toronto, and uh, grocers are one of our top donors, and so they do have the ability to uh, repurpose food. So, uh, if they have some unsold food, what can be frozen, uh, other than of course uh, produce, some produce, uh, they they freeze it and then they send it our way, and we actually work with that food. Uh, same for food banks as well. Uh, there is a portion that can't be rescued at all. Uh, unfortunately, because it is just not, uh, uh, I guess, safe enough or the condition is just not good enough to do anything with it. So there is some waste at retail, but a lot of it is rescued by, by food banks and food rescuing agencies. Is this stuff donated or is it sold at a discount? Uh, it's basically just donated, absolutely. Yeah. And so uh, there is no sell uh unfortunately uh, the amount of food uh, diverted towards food banks and food rescuing has uh, has reduced in, in recent years just because the supply chain is way more efficient and frankly to be honest with you uh we've become better food rescuers ourselves at the grocery store so a lot of people are buying <laughs> discounted products. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and that's why I think that's why, uh, Loblaws was motivated to, uh, end the 50% discount practice because a lot, a lot of people were buying these products. And so mm-hmm. when you have more food rescuing going on in stores, there's less food, uh, that's going to food banks and food rescuing agencies. Uh, who and how do you decide what, when something goes? It, it really depends on the quality, uh, and uh, honestly, the last thing you want is is, is to poison people. So uh, it's it's, yeah. it's it's on a case by case basis. Each category managers will look at the state of uh, of some of some products. Uh, to be honest, uh, I mean some are easier than others. Uh, like produce, uh, you have to be extremely careful with meat as well. Um, in dairy, you got lots of uh, you got lots of uh, products that uh, that do have an expiry date or a best before date, but you can still consume after. I mean, I've I've personally consumed yogurt a month after the best before date. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, the container was just not open. So some of these products that's easy to send to to food banks. Uh, food banks won't accept food that can poison people. <laughs> I'll tell you. Right. And so everything is frozen and safe typically. Uh, what foods? Is it mostly perishables, or is it would it work the same, for example, for canned foods? Uh, it's actually both. Uh, so uh, I I volunteer at uh, Feed Nova Scotia myself with my family, and so what we do when we go there, we assort food. And uh, what we see uh, is basically half and half. So half will be 
canned foods, uh, prepackaged foods, uh, and some of it will be fresh foods as well. So I'd say probably half and half. Uh, that's kind of the ratio you're looking at. Is there that much of it? Because obviously, uh, I'm sure people want to, you know, sell what they buy and have very little waste. Is there that much of this? There's there's less and less, and that's why uh, right now food banks are collecting a lot of money because they have to they have to buy food now. Uh, they have to buy more food. There's more traffic, and and so by mm-hmm. buying food, they can actually uh, try to service as many people as possible. But the thing is, Scott, is that food banks and even us uh, at Second Harvest, we can actually do a lot with 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 the money we get. We can actually buy way more food than than consumers just because we can buy wholesale. We can negotiate mm-hmm. volume, so based on volume. So, so if you if you give to food banks, if you want to give to food banks that you don't have any food, money goes a long way. Dr. Sylvain Charlebaugh with us, Professor of Food Distribution and Policy, Director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University, and uh, how grocers decide what to donate and what to throw out. Sylvain, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Have a good weekend. You take care. A quick break here. We're coming right back. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. We alluded to this earlier today, and uh, it looks like, in fact, it is true. One of Vladimir Putin's harshest critics, uh, the imprisoned leader of the opposition, Alexei Nalvani, has died. And uh, under uh, mysterious situation, circumstances, we'll see. Matthew Light with us, Associate Professor of Criminology, Sociological Studies, uh, Center for European and uh, Eurasian Studies, University of Toronto, and here now. Matthew, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Hello, good to be with you. I heard uh, one uh, reporter say uh, in a guest that they were interviewing that this wasn't unexpected. What are your thoughts of what's transpired here? I think that that is well said, although it doesn't make it any less shocking or horrible. So Navalny has been treated very poorly since um, he was arrested after returning to Russia um, and then subsequently um, sentenced to prison for political offense. Um, he has been in deteriorating health and apparently not receiving the medical treatment he needed. And he was then sent to a very harsh um, prison colony in the far north of Russia. So I can't imagine that many people are surprised to learn of this news. Um, exactly what transpired, I think, is unclear. I hope we find out uh, whether he was deliberately killed or uh, allowed to die of abuse and neglect. Uh, do we know exactly what he was suffering from at this point, or was it just simply neglect? Um, he, he had a variety of health conditions. Um, he was in his 40s and um, was in places that are very un, un, unhealthy. Um, Russian prisons have very poor conditions. Um, I don't remember the exact details of his complaint, um, but uh, he, he has been, it's been known that he has been in ill health for some time. Uh, and Russia's response to this? Well, they say that they will um, investigate. I, I think that that is um, not a very serious um, promise, um, given that he died in official custody. Uh, I will be interested to see what um, they do say. Um, so um, whether any kind of explanation is offered for his death. Um, there is no way, though, that it can really look good. This is somebody who was uh, known by everybody to be um, 
a major, if not the leading opposition figure in Russia. Uh, and he was in the government's custody and he died. So um, people can connect the dots themselves. Um, either he was deliberately killed or um, the conditions he was subjected to um, were, were inhuman and caused his death. Uh, considering where this happened, will we ever find out what really happened? Uh, I, I doubt that we will get very good information anytime soon, um, as long as the current government is in power. World reaction to this? Both uh, President Biden, both President Biden and Prime Minister Trudeau have expressed their disgust and condemnation. Um, whether anything more than that will follow is an open question. I think um, Russia is already um, under a number of sanctions. Um, it's possible that this event will factor into that policy mix in some way and result in um, further sanctions against him. But of course, it occurs against the backdrop of the war um, against Ukraine by, by, by Vladimir Putin's government, which has already um, caused relations with the West to um, collapse. Um, so it's a little hard to know how much further they could sink. Uh, was was Navalny still a threat? I mean, why go through this now? I mean, other than to ses- send a message, and perhaps that's what it was. Was he still a threat? Yeah, that's a very good question. So um, I I remember when he was first arrested that um, a number of people pointed out to me, and I think with good reason, that that in some sense, the Russian government was presented with a dilemma by the fact that he returned to Russia. So killing him would be a way of making him into a martyr. And he did have quite a following in Russia compared to many other opposition figures. Um, he chose to return to Russia. He had been treated in Germany for for poisoning, um, presumably inflicted by the Russian government. He went back. Um, they did respond by imprisoning him. So the fact that he died in in government in the government's custody is interesting, and in the, for the reason that you mentioned. Um, we don't know exactly whether they were aware of just how unwell he was. So I suppose there's some possibility that his death uh, will surprise them, but it's hard to believe that given that he was being presumably under a lot of surveillance. So if we, if we assume that they either wanted his death or weren't bothered by it, I think one interpretation and the only one that makes a lot of sense is this is a way of sending a very clear signal that, that the screws are being tied into general in Russian society and that, disagreement with the government or criticism of it will lead to very severe, terrifying consequences to Russian citizens. Do you think the timing of this is suspicious or just something that happened? Is the timing, for example, a factor in, in what's happening with Ukraine and Russia? Is the, Or do you think this just happened? So I think in some sense it is related to the Ukraine war. Um, Navalny, we have to say, has made a lot of statements over his career that were not exactly um, uh, peaceful in in relation to Russia's neighbors, even some of, or even some of his own citizens. So he's made in the past very offensive statements about members of different ethnic groups and immigrants um, from Central Asia, the Caucasus, Georgia, Ukraine, and he hasn't always fully um, condemned Russia's aggression against its neighbors. It is true, though, that he did, in toward the end of his life, make somewhat clearer statements condemning the invasion of Ukraine in 2022, the full scale invasion, I should say, and. I think one could see his death in against the backdrop of the general crackdown and dissent that's taken place in Russia since then, um, with new laws being instituted to criminalize criticism of the military, and a large part of the liberal um, 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 sort of liberal middle class uh, community, including a lot of journalists and advocates of different for different civil rights, um, leaving the country. 
So in, in that sense, it fits into the general pattern. Whether it's connected to some more specific event is a little harder to say. Um, Russia will be having a, a presidential election um, fairly soon. There's no question that Putin will win that. Um, it has been suggested that he's not in the best position he wanted to be in for that election. He would like to have win a crushing majority. Um, he's already disqualified uh, or imprisoned in the case of Navalny, all potential opponents. It, it is possible that that his death is in some sense related to a desire to prevent uh, electioneering from taking place. Um, but that's that's a, that's an inference that can't be proven at this point. Uh, got less than a minute left. How are Russians reacting to this? Is 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 he a traitor to them? Well, he has a large following in Russia um, and uh, outside of Russia. Um, members of uh, sort of the liberal political community in Russia and outside it, um, most of them are now outside it for obvious reasons, are expressing shock and grief. Um, it is true, though, that opinions were mixed. He was a, a political figure, and, and like all such figures, um, support, su- supporters of President Putin, I, I, w- I would imagine, will not be deeply grieved by his death. Matthew Light with us, Associate Professor of Criminology, Sociological Studies, University of Toronto. Matthew, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Have a great weekend. You too. We've been talking for uh, about a recession so long. We're actually in one because if you, uh, you know, scare people enough, they just stop spending. And whether you're on the verge of one, uh, people are acting as if they are in one. And I think that's what we've been experiencing for the last little while. But they also say one of the barometers for all of this is, of course, how business is doing. And one of our bigger ones, Canadian Tire, is showing signs that there could be future economic worries. Let's bring in Colin Mang, assistant. Professor Economics at McMaster University and here now. Colin, thank you for the time. Hope you're well. Yeah. Hello, Scott. How are you doing today? I'm doing so far so good. Thank you, Colin. Uh, what is what are we learning from Canadian Tire? What What can we forecast from that? Yeah, so there's a few things that have been going on with Canadian Tire. They've seen an overall drop in their profits of about 68%, which is a huge drop. Now, that doesn't mean that the company's losing money. They still had a a quarterly earnings of about $3 per share, uh, but that's a significant decline from what they were experiencing at this time last year. And there's a number of reasons for this. Uh, First of all, the the category that they happen to be in, uh, you know, catering to consumers, um, particularly with household goods, uh, household furnishings, and other types of equipment. You know, you think about lawnmowers, uh, yeah. snowblowers, that sort of thing that makes up a, a large portion of their business. Prices for those goods have actually been on the decline over the later part of, of last year. So it's one of the few items where we've actually seen deflation rather than inflation. So Canadian tires being hit a little bit by falling prices for the goods that they sell. And then also there's the issue of consumers just generally starting to cut back. I mean, you and I have talked before about the issues of groceries getting more expensive mm-hmm. and housing getting more expensive. And those are the two things that people need the most. And you know that's where their money's going right now. So they don't have a lot of extra cash available to go and spend on Say you know, getting some new paint to to paint up their home, or buying that new lawnmower or snowblower. So that kind of stuff is is really eating into Canadian Tire's business right now. 
And is it easy to compare? Normally we compare year to year. You see trends that way. But considering the global pandemic of the last couple of years, and I don't know what Canadian Tire did last year, but my guess coming out of pandemics and such, a lot of people did well, and now people are starting to cut back. So can you compare this year to last, or was last year an anomaly too? Yeah, so, I mean, again, last year was still a little bit of an anomaly, but overall, their uh, total revenues last year were a bit higher than they were this year. Uh, now, their costs, their their cost of producing revenue, which is the amount that they pay their suppliers and, and their workers are actually down a little bit this year as well. Uh, but their revenues have fallen faster than their costs. So that's one of the reasons why they've been making a lot less money this year compared to last year. So they have benefited from you know the whole supply chain disruption stuff ending, and they've mm. seen their costs fall. But their revenues have fallen faster because prices for their goods are dropping and they're selling fewer goods as as, uh, households are really feeling the pinch on their budgets. So uh, that's where they are today and and, and sort of why they're there. What does this mean for other businesses? What can they learn? Uh, What does this say about the economy? So, I mean, we are entering a period right now where I think the economy is going to be pretty slow for the, for the coming year. Uh, we still have about 2 million, a little bit more than 2 million families who have not had their mortgages renew at the higher rates yet. And people are starting to prepare for that. Uh, you Folks who are looking ahead to this year, seeing, okay, my mortgage is going to be renewing in the summer, my mortgage is going to be renewing in the fall. Interest rates might come down a little bit by then, but not by a huge amount. You know, All these families are looking at higher payments, so they're already starting to cut back on their spending now. And, you know, this is going to have other knock-on effects for other retailers as well. Uh, generally, we've seen the retail market slow down a bit uh, in the in the fourth quarter of last year, and it'll probably remain pretty slow, I think, for the first couple of quarters of this year as well. Uh, for a long time, Colin, we've been having this discussion that we're on the verge of a recession. Uh, plugging that information into the the psyche of Canadians, we're on the verge of a recession. And honestly, we've heard it for the last couple of years. Does that make them feel and react like they are in a recession? Therefore, we might as well be in one. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So overall, consumer confidence is right sort of in the neutral range. So people are not overly optimistic, but they're not at this point overly pessimistic yet. Now, on the 29th of this month, we're going to get the fourth quarter GDP figures for uh uh, 2023. So we're going to see, did we actually fall into a recession? Because we had the third quarter last year, which had negative growth in it. If the fourth quarter did as well, that would mean that we did enter a recession. Uh, if we do go into that technical recession, I think it will be fairly short and, and fairly mild. Uh, by the end of this year, I think our economy will be growing again. But um, you know, things have very, very clearly slowed down. The Bank of Canada's uh, policy of raising the rates to try to tame inflation uh, certainly has been working because we've seen prices leveling off for uh, many types of goods. And uh, unfortunately for Canadian Tire, the, the key things that they sell uh, with regard to household operations and furnishings and other household equipment have actually seen price declines. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think we are going to be looking at least you know for the first half of this year at pretty slow growth. Colin Mang with us, Assistant Professor, Economics, McMaster University, Canadian Tires Troubles, a sign of greater economic worry. Colin, thank you for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Yeah, you're welcome. Have a good day, Scott. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with
with Scott Thompson on Hamilton's News. Today's talk 900 CXML. We've been talking for a while now about the homeless situation in the Hammer and specifically tent encampments and and you know what we were to do and and protocols of last summer, let alone getting through a winter as we have. Is there a a, um, a stepping stone, a bridge between somebody in a tent encampment and an actual home. What are uh, the options when others are not available? Let's bring in Tom Cooper, director of Hamilton's Roundtable on Poverty and board member of the Hamilton Alliance for Tiny Shelters. Here now, Tom, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Hey, Scott, good to talk to you. Uh, Tom, I know this is a huge challenge and a huge problem, and, and cities are facing this, towns uh, across the country. Who is doing this well? What are some programs that you're looking at and thinking, hey, this could work here? Yeah, this is a model that has really been tried and tested in a number of communities right across Canada and the United States. Most recently, we just heard this week, St. Catharines is opening up a modular home shelter, uh, really independent uh, uh, shelters for for individuals who are otherwise facing homelessness. Uh, there's going to be 50 spaces available for them, so that it's going to be really interesting to follow their progress. But we know it's been done in Kitchener. Uh, there's a couple of uh, different projects in Kitchener that have been up and running uh, in Kingston and Peterborough. Really, BC is doing this quite well as as, as well. So you know we have a fair bit of evidence to say that providing people with a stable and secure place to stay, um, to get them off the street, provide stability, keep them warm, keep them safe, uh, does do a lot to help them transition into more permanent and supportive forms of housing. Obviously, um, you know, there is a, a, a crisis. There's a shortage of housing in, in every category. But it seems like we've been caught between two places here, Tom, in that, um, you know, certainly it takes time to get shelter space and such available. But there's nothing that sort of bridges that gap between living in a park in a tent and getting there. Uh, and I remember earlier on in this discussion talking about things like the field hospitals we saw during the global pandemic and such. And this is sort of a similar thing. I mean, you know, taking ideas from, um, you know, uh, camps that have been set up for oil sands workers, this sort of thing, there has to be some sort of middle there that's temporary that we can use that's better than a tent in a, in a park. Oh, absolutely. It, it's very much triaging uh, to take the medical parlance. Yeah. But yeah, that's why we've been trying to uh, get the Hamilton Alliance for Tiny Shelters off, off the ground. We've had a couple of false starts, as you know. Uh, due to some pushback and and some concerns about where they would be located, but I think I think if we can find an appropriate place uh, that's acceptable uh, both politically and to the community, I, I think this could be a very effective model. Again, uh, for taking individuals who who otherwise have no place to go but an encampment, but you know sleeping in an alleyway or in an alcove, it's it's absolutely a crisis, and we know Scott. There are lots of people out there facing homelessness right now who are on the streets who, who are doing it for the first time in their lives. They've been yeah. evicted uh, because of the soaring costs of rent in this community, and they're terrified. Uh, they want a safe place to stay. Uh, sometimes, you know, shelter spaces aren't available or people don't feel they're necessarily safe uh, for, for their situation. There's other people who have a beloved pet and they don't want to leave them. They can't take a, a dog or a cat to a shelter. And, and so they 
stay in a tent. And, and obviously that's a very unsafe situation for, for a lot of people. So we, we really do think that having a tiny shelter community with wraparound services, with security, is, is that transition into more appropriate housing. Where are we now in this discussion, Tom? Because uh, obviously, uh, you know, thank goodness it's been a, a relatively milder winter. But do you see things being in place by this time next year? I, I really, really hope so, Scott. We've been working hard, uh, talking to community members, talking to city councillors, and and we hope we'll be able to find a spot uh, in the next few months that uh, that would work. Uh, but those discussions are ongoing. Um, I can't I can't say there's any specific uh, place that uh, we have our eye on right now. Uh, but we're 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 keeping lines of communication open. So if listeners out there know of uh, a possible location that might be a good fit for a, a small community of tiny cabins, about 25 cabins, we're looking for about an acre. It would be great if we had uh, washroom facilities already on site, but we could probably make it work if. Uh, if we had to bring in a portable unit for that. Um, but yeah, we, we very much appreciate the community's support on this. And I think if we all pull together, we can definitely get this up and running this year. Is location the biggest challenge, Tom? Yeah, there was a lot of pushback when uh, we initially had yeah. community consultations about a possible site in Hamilton's North End in Ward 2. Um, we pulled back from that uh, in part due to the high cost of setting up for such a short period of time, uh, but also recognizing that the community simply wasn't comfortable with the approach. Um, but looking at uh, some of the other tiny cabin projects around the province, uh, there's one in Waterloo region that's a little bit out of the downtown area, out of town, mm -hmm. and we think a model like that might be a possibility. So we're casting the net wide right now and and looking at various possibilities, whether in uh, more industrial, light industrial areas, or even rural areas, and maybe opening up the possibility of uh, shuttling people back and forth for uh, medical appointments and that sort of thing. Well, yeah, because I remember talking to KW about that very thing, because everybody said it's got to be downtown. It can't be on the edge of an industrial area or, or light industry or whatever, because they can't get into the city. But then someone said, no, but it's much easier to bring the services to them then. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and that's really what this project is about. It's around providing those wraparound services, ensuring individuals uh, can get that medical assistance uh, if they need it, mental health assistance, skills development, training, that sort of thing, really to, to enable them to move on to the next phase of their life. Um, because homelessness, as you know, is is all encompassing. It, it takes up a uh, there's a lot of anxiety that goes along with it. And, yeah. and so once people become stable, um, they're they're able to look at other facets of their life and dream about the future. Tom Cooper, director of Hamilton's Roundtable on Poverty and board member of the Hamilton Alliance for Tiny Shelters. An update there and perhaps uh, taking lessons from Kitchener and what Niagara is doing. Tom, as always, thanks for the time. Good luck. Thanks, Scott. Happy Family Day. We've been hearing a little bit about uh, dribs and drabs that are coming out for uh, the, the session of Queen's Park and, and the Get It Done Act. Or is that the Get It Done Act? Uh, I, I'm not sure uh, what it's all about, but Colin DeMello is here to explain it. Queen's Park Bureau Chief, Global News. Make sure you're watching Global for more on all of this. Colin, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Hey, good afternoon, Scott. Thanks for having me. So what is the Get It Done Act, Colin? What, why are we talking about this now? What's going on? 
Well, the Ontario legislature is set to resume next Tuesday, the day after Family Day. And the very first piece of legislation that the government is going to be tabling is the Get It Done Act. It is an omnibus legislation that's going to cover a whole host of ministries, a whole host of topics. But a lot of them are going to be, you know, transportation related, related to, you know, tolls and highways and the carbon tax. And that's what the Ford government wants to kind of put as its initial offering to the public in 2024. Get It Done was their campaign slogan in 2022 during the provincial election campaign. And now we're about the halfway point between the last election and the next election in 2026. So this is really the government signaling that it's pivoting, right? It's it's now slowly turning into election mode, starting to really try to you know, cross some things off of its checklist that it needs to get done so that it can go to voters in 2026 and say, look, we, you know, promised a whole bunch of things and we came through on our promises. So uh, you said this encompasses quite a bit. We've heard about um, uh, a referendum if there's a carbon tax and uh, the no tolling of roads. Uh, but all of these things can be reversed by another government if they come in. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's true. There are two measures specifically that could really be reversed because they bind the hands of another government. You see, there there is some kind of convention when it comes to Canadian politics, and it's part of kind of sort of part of the Constitution where it says that you're not supposed to bind the hands of a future government and that a future government could easily just repeal whatever law you bring in. So here are some highlights of what is in the Get It Done Act. The government wants to force a future government to hold a referendum if it wants to introduce carbon pricing. That could be repealed. Uh, The government says it wants to ban road tolls on the Gardner Expressway and Don Valley Parkway and all 400 series highways. Again, that could be repealed. But the government isn't going to repeal the tolls on the 407, even the provincially owned portion of the 407 in the kind of the eastern part of the province. And they also would eliminate the need for drivers to manually renew their license plates. That's going to be in this bill. Another thing is a permanent freeze on license card um, renewal fees, and it would force future governments to make legislative changes before it increases fees. So the point of this legislation is really because a lot of these are, are meaningless, right? In the sense that they don't save you any money, really. And the government isn't having to pay any money to do these things. And they, you know, banning tolls on highways that don't have tolls right now mm. isn't really a policy that you would expect the government to be thinking about. But what it does here is it looks to wedge uh, Premier Doug Ford's chief opponent, and that's Bonnie Crombie. We don't know where she stands on road tolls. We don't know where she stands on carbon pricing. But you know where Doug Ford stands. And I think that's the point of this legislation is to draw a clear line between himself and his opponents to say, I'm on this side of the line of no carbon pricing, no carbon taxes, no road tolls. Where do your opponents stand? That's the question he wants voters to be asking themselves. What about the debate about tolls? Uh, for example, you know, the situation between Toronto and Ontario with uh, the gardener and that sort of thing. Is this designed to stop those types of roads from being tolled or will it? Yeah, I mean, that's the general idea here, right? The government is saying that they will not introduce any new road tolls for as long as they're in power. Uh, and they're also trying to prevent any future government 
Mm. from implementing road tolls on two specific highways, the Gardner Expressway and the Don Valley Parkway, which is now being uploaded from the city of Toronto to the province. But again, parliament is supreme, and any parliament that's been elected, duly elected, can pass a law to rescind another law. So this is, you know, kind of a time-limited measure, I guess, until another future government decides, hey, they need the money and they want to impose a toll. So uh, this is uh, dribs and drabs that are coming out to sort of tease us before everything gets back to uh, to normal next week. Is there any has anything else been released regarding the Get It Done Act? Is there any sort of bonbons out there that you're finding? Yeah, I mean, the the, the government is also going to be focusing on, um, you know, the housing element uh, of, of everything that's coming out. And, you know, one of the things that uh, they announced today was that they're going to speed up the environmental assessment process. Environmental assessments have long been a thorn in the side for conservatives who often say that they slow down development because somebody can just, you know, claim that there's uh, a species at risk and, and development would essentially be hamstrung as a result. Mm. And so the government wants to speed up the environmental assessment process. It wants to essentially create a priority list of projects. So the Highway 413 that the government wants to build and the Bradford Bypass that has also been a priority for this government, those could be prioritized on the list of environmental assessments. The government could fast track the environmental assessment process and then essentially get projects to construction a little bit faster. That's obviously going to be a, a problem for a lot of groups uh, that you know put the environment first, but the government has never been shy to kind of take on environmentalists. So this will be an interesting battle, uh, but one that kind of is a skirmish that kind of ha- happens on the sidelines and not necessarily in the full view of the public because many public me- members of the public might not necessarily care a lot about the environmental assessment process. So, Colin, what are you expecting when things get back to the ledge on Tuesday? Uh, Obviously, Doug Ford has spent more time concentrating on Bonnie Crombie and the Liberals than uh, the official opposition. What do you think the dynamic's going to be? Uh, Obviously, Bonnie doesn't have a seat yet, but what what do you think the first week's going to look like? Yeah, I mean, the dynamic is going to be really interesting. A lot of the tone might be set by the NDP. The NDP had kind of uh, suggested to us that maybe they want to focus more on Uh, proposing solutions and policy rather than just attacking the government because they've been doing that for the last few years and that really hasn't moved the needle on their Mm. their polling. So I'm trying to see here whether the government feels confident enough that they've moved past the Greenbelt scandal. Remember, this is a government that's still facing an RCMP investigation and we haven't really seen what has come out of that investigation. The police have been rather quiet about exactly Uh, you know, what their tactics are, whether they've asked for documents or interviews and all of that. We haven't really heard much. So so this is a government that's still in a precarious position. It's trying its best to look forward to the next election and really prime itself so that it's election ready in 2026. So as an example, if you see a funding announcement in 2024, that's to make sure that they can start building in 2025 and get a project ready for 2026 so that they can mm. cut the ribbon just before the election, right? So all of that work is starting now. That's what you're going to see the government focused on. The scandal that has really threatened to take them down in 2023, how much of a problem is that going to be? Uh, that's what I'm still looking out for. Colin DeMello with us, Queen's Park Bureau Chief, Global News, giving us the pregame before the ledge gets back on Tuesday, the Ford government uh, and its Get It Done Act. What that means, whatever it is, moving forward. Colin, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Have a great weekend. 
Thanks so much. Send the coffee if you can. That's what we'll need next week. <laughs> All right. Enjoy. We'll be chatting. Coming up after the five, uh, 6 o'clock news, Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show. You can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. He is here now. How are you, Scott? Don't drag me into this. I never know what's coming up on those those song intros. You either. started it. You and Ben started it way back when, and uh, somehow it's bled its way onto my show. It's infecting the entire station. It's like a it's like the the it's latest like a giant fungus that is spreading. It, I need a it's, cream. It's it's like another edition of COVID. I don't know what's happening. It's it's just it's 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 got nothing to do with me. Wear a All mask right. at five fifty every day. All right, there you go. Just don't uh, keep do the have... kids out of school. <laughs> Did you see that story today? That study yes. from the classroom? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, okay. See, I wasn't going to go there. No, no, see, okay, I was going to was gonna, I was gonna stay away from the news because, frankly, it's Friday. And I've had enough. Do you have a pet? Uh, we, do we have a pet? We have three dogs and my wife dog sits on the side. So uh, in our house <laughs> right now, I believe there are eight dogs. Get out! Uh-huh. There's eight dogs at your. I'm calling. I'm calling the city. I think. I think you should be arrested. Shouldn't you be fine? They're all you little. Know? They're all little tiny things. That's even worse. That means they're yappy. Well, they are. But are they yappy all the time? That, actually, you know what? They're really not. They're really not. And, we, and this is a very unusual. Usually, we have one or maybe two that are there. But it's yeah, and they're just in for the day, and out they go. And do you ever accident? No, I shouldn't say that. Um, so little ones, I'm always worried I'm going to hurt them. You know what? By and large, uh, very lovely. There's, you know, I'll, I'll leave it there. Yes, very lovely. So, um, wh- wh- what's it like in your house with eight dogs? Well, as I say, do you, say do you ever say, "Honey, this is getting out of hand"? It's 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 on. It, this today is unusual. As I say, usually there's one or two maybe that are that are around, and it's just you know, it's just. Help it out because, you know, people, it's amazing to me. And I don't know that this is necessarily the case. I know that there have been in the past and I know I've heard this before, but maybe you've talked to people from the SPCA over the years, but there have been, there were a lot of people that got dogs during COVID. Yep. And then when life began to return to normal and you left the house again to carry on with your normal life, suddenly, oh, what do I do with this dog? I don't have anyone to look after it. I, if I, if I go away overnight, what do I do with it? And so, you know, there, uh, like there's a need for this and I'm telling you, it's wow. a, it's a thing. So, yeah. So are they mostly small dogs? Like do yes. you ever get any big slobbery ones like the one we have? Cause we, you know, if I never thought you provided the service. Uh, we have, we take, my wife will look after, there's one large one, but it's a family friend that is not really, it's just as a, as a favor that we don't, but they're all usually. Are you saying you don't want to take my Tucker? Is that what you're saying, Scott? Well, what kind of dog is Tucker? He's a golden doodle, about 85 pounds. Yeah. He probably, uh, weighs as much as all the rest of them put together. Oh man. Did you, ever, did you ever see the movie, The Jerk years ago with Steve yeah. Martin? Yeah. All right. And there's a scene in there where the guy who's the bad guy is around his pool and he's a, like a cat juggler from Peru. Remember that scene? Anyway, all the dogs are the size that you could <laughs> juggle them if you really wanted to. They're small enough. You know, I remember that movie, but I don't remember that scene. No, I'm oh, not a bum. Man. I'm just a jerk. It's a, oh, all right. that, that all movie right. needs to get onto a streaming service. I got to see that movie again. It's been a long time. All right, so uh, I don't even want to tell you my pet story now. After no, no, your, hit me with talking about your uh, tell him uh, the pet story. So I, I we have a dog, of course, as I mentioned, but it's got nothing to do with him. It's um, I've 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 been an aquarist for several years. Oh, what? Since I was a kid, an aquarist. I have an aquarium. Oh, okay. I thought you so, were like Aquaman. 
No, no, no. No, no I've got no gills. My fingers aren't toes, aren't web, nothing like that. Uh, but, I, you know, I, we've got a large aquarium in the basement, in the, in the den, and, um, and I have African cichlids, uh, cichlids in there. And they're very, very uh, unusual for fish because they don't just sit there and look at you. They're kind of active, and they move around a lot, and they're in and out, and they're hiding. They're very territorial. So anyway, yeah, last night I'm down there, and I'm staring at the aquarium, and I told the story before on the air. Uh, one of the larger fish all of a sudden was gone for like a month, and I just what? thought... They've, they've died. They've just, they, they die. And then if you, if you don't get them during the day, they'll eat them all and th- that'll be it. You just, oh, you know, you, there were, there was one seven. Now there's six. So I didn't see this fish for like, uh, a month. Seriously. And then all of a sudden it came out and I'm like, what the heck is that? Then two weeks later, last night, I'm sitting staring at my aquarium and out from my little SpongeBob hut comes this little fish. It had babies. Wow, little sickle, what are they called, sickle cell anemias? Uh, no, African cichlids. Oh, cichlids, okay. Yeah, so and it's a little wee yellow thing. And, you know, so my son starts doing research, and apparently uh, they can have anywhere from 10 to 30 at a time. They incubate them in their mouth for like 30 days in hiding. And then all of a sudden they come out and you need lots of plants and stuff for them to hide. Unfortunately, I think we only have one. So the rest were dinner, but we do have little Nemo. Well, see, that's, isn't that exciting? That's very exciting. I feel like I'm, I'm watching an episode of listening to an episode of Marlon Perkins on Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. We got, we got to bring in Bill or Brian or whatever his name was now to drop him down from the, ele- from the helicopter to, uh, to tell us about this. No, that, that is, see, I did, I never knew that you yeah. were aquarium man. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've got like a 55 gallon and you know, I've just, I've had them forever. And then when we built the, when we got this house like 25 years ago, it's like, and we built the rec room. It's like, I want to put this, I always wanted a, an in-wall aquarium. It's behind our bar. So, you know, I've had it, we've had it for years. So yeah, it was just odd that I've never had fish mating in my tank okay. or if I did never saw them survive. Okay. So my question that as a serious, see, the rest of us who are listening, who are the, uh, perhaps the owner of the very simple bowl where you have a goldfish <laughs> that, I had those two. that lasts for two weeks and then, you know, gives yeah. up the ghost. So if you're a, I know what we do when our fish go, but as a serious fish guy, what happens when your fish die? Do you, do you follow the same routine the rest of us do? Are they, are they? Yeah, it gets the uh, white porcelain funeral. All right. All right. Yep. I didn't know if it, there was a much more involved ceremony this, when I'm, you're I'm, serious. I'm, I'm so excited, Scott, because this batch of fish has me, lasted me over five years. I got these well before the pandemic, and they're like, I think out of eight, one's died. And now I got one back, so we're even Steven. I think that's just great. That's... I might start one of those puppy mills, except for fish. Well, it, I, like, I don't like to think what we call a, <laughs> uh, what we do, a puppy mill. It's there's, a there's... fry mill. It's a fry mill. Yeah, no, it's, uh, well, that's good. I, I mean, congratulations. I guess you're now the proud, oh, you're the proud father or stepfather or something of a bunch of sicklers, sickles, whatever, whatever you call uh, African sicklets. Oh, look, we're out of time. Thank goodness. Uh, Scott Radley show coming up after six o'clock. You have a great weekend, Scott. Thank you. You as well, Scott. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's it for us. Thanks for listening. As always, we leave it to you, the taxpaying customer, to have the last word. So let me get this straight. I go to the grocery store and I buy a pound of sliced ham wrapped in plastic, a loaf of bread in a plastic bag, a gallon of milk in a plastic bag, a pack of napkins in a plastic, a Greek salad in a plastic container, plastic bottle of mustard, and a plastic bottle of ketchup. 
and they won't give me a plastic bag to carry it home because the plastic bag is bad for the environment? Excuse me? Oh.